I'm so thankful. Thank you for having us here. Uh, my wife, Pam, uh, spoke at the ladies' meeting, and we had a great time doing that. She did. and then, Well, I had a good time, too, last yesterday, but I, she was uh, really blessed by doing that. And we're glad to be back here again and uh, thankful for the opportunity. I'm going to preach a message this morning that I actually preached here my first time in 2002. And uh, I, I think I'll be able to give you the, the thrust of why I would preach it again. And that will make sense to you um, as we work our way through the lesson. But also because I feel like the Lord would have me to preach it again. And uh, it used to be when I was a younger preacher, I would worry about preaching a message a second time to the same group of people. But I no longer worry about that anymore. I'm going to pillow my head tonight knowing that I preached what God wanted to be preached. Because God's, God's well aware of who's here this morning and uh, the timing of everybody's life and all the courses of, uh, of life that come our way. And so I'm confident of that. But before I work our way into the message, I want to ask you a question. Do you know of somebody, and you're confident of it, that they're a lost person right now? They're, they've never accepted Christ as their Savior. They, it, it's very sure, based upon their own testimony, that they've never trusted Christ. Anybody know someone like that? Lift your hand up if you do. You're, just, you're not going to call their name out. I'm not going to ask you to do that at all. But you just know that there's somebody... Somebody that you are aware that if they died today, that they would, they would go to hell because they've rejected the Son of God. So as you think about that question and your answer, I want you to think about the picture of that person. I want you to think about the face. I don't want you to think about what address they live at or what their employee number is. I want you to think about that individual's face. I want you to get that picture. I want you to picture that person. Well, as you think about that, um, I want to talk about a final day where two groups of people will see each other. It's, it's a day in the future, and really I could describe it this way, the most helpless day in the future of mankind. It could also be described this way, the last day that believers will ever see unbelievers or non-believers the last day non-believers will ever see believers. It's the great white throne judgment day. Now, as we kind of walk our way through this message, I, I need to divide us up into two groups of people, believers and unbelievers, those that have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So I need to kind of make sure we understand and all get on the same page. When I say believers, I mean somebody that is trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Amen? You understand that? That's someone who's trusted Christ as his Savior. Didn't say he's a member of this church or a member of that church. It's someone who's trusted Jesus Christ, has asked Christ to come into their heart and to save them and to cleanse them of all of their unrighteousness with his righteousness. They have faith in Christ. That's a believer. A non-believer is someone who hasn't someone who has never done that before in their life, or they're trying to get to heaven some other way, maybe plus Jesus, Jesus Christ plus something else. That's a non-believer. They could be a member of a church. They may not be a member of a church, but they've rejected the Son of God. And so for the sake of the illustration, I'm going to divide the congregation up into those two groups, believers, those that are going to heaven, 
and unbelievers, those that are not. So let me look the crowd over and see which side will be those that go to hell and those that go to heaven. Let me look the crowd over. Let's see. You guys, you guys will be the side that, for the illustration, you go to hell. All right? Now, don't get mad at me, okay? This is just for an illustration. They might say, well, how come you pick this side? My wife's sitting over here. That's why. <laughs> that's why. I mean, who, who, what man would pick his wife? Of course, she's going to. Yeah, that's the side that she's going to be on. So here's the believer's side. Here's the non-believer's side. And so um, I, I, we've divided ourselves up. And so really, if we just kind of work our way through the illustration, we'll do that continually through the morning message. It's the last day that this group will ever see this group. It's the last day that this group will ever, ever see this group. It's, it's also the most helpless day in the future for mankind. So let's just have a word of prayer, and then we're going to turn into Revelation. And let's go ahead and just stand, and we'll just turn to the book of Revelation, and we're going to look at chapter 20. Chapter 20. And we'll kind of work our way through this passage. Now, how many of you want me to preach really good this morning? Say amen. amen. All right. Now, the amens have a connecting point to how good I preach, all right? Um, I'm nervous. I'm always nervous when I preach, but it does honestly help. And I am, I'm starting us over here together, and I want to work us through certain points, and, and I need to bring us all together to this common ending. And so when I kind of bring you through page by page, you just giving me an affirmation, amen, then I realize, okay, they're with me because I, I don't want to have to go back all the time. Now, if you're not enjoying my preaching, you st- it still makes sense for you to say amen because the more you say amen, probably the faster I'll preach and I'll get done quicker, okay? Amen? Now, don't just amen all the time, all right? Because then I figure you're just trying to get me done. If you fall asleep while I'm preaching, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to start over on page one. No, I won't do that. No, I won't do that. I'll think about it, but I wouldn't do that. Revelation chapter 20. Here's John. He's been banned from the world. He's on this island. It's like a big rock. It's Patmos. He's banned from the world, and he's getting into the Word. Sometimes you almost have to come out of the world to really get into the Word Here's John, and I saw an angel, just allow these words to start to paint this picture. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Imagine this, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, who do you think this is, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now, I I don't know. In my creative and crazy mind, I can just envision that we'll be there because we're told from other scripture that once we're with Christ, we're going to be never separated with him again. We'll always be with him So somehow in this scene, 
we're going to be there to some extent to how, I don't know yet, but I'm just imagining or maybe I'm just wishing that when Satan is bound up, I'm just wishing maybe we'll kind of be there like this and, and, and God just kind of brings him by us and we just kind of get to smack him off the back of the head. Wouldn't that be kind of fun? Come on, wouldn't that be neat? He's a deceiver. He's deceived me many times. He's been my foe all of my life. And I would like to get a good whack at him. I don't know that I will. <laughs> what scripture is that in? It isn't. It's just up in my crazy man head. That's all it is. But he's bound. Here's a thought for a thousand years. I'm just going to ask, why would we let him go? Verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. What's he going to do? And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth <clears throat> and, and, and Gog and Magog to gather them. The them is referring to the unbelievers. We're going to be talking about the two groups again. The them is referring to the unbelievers. He's going to gather them together to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea, a large group of them, of unbelievers. He's going to gather them together to battle. wonder who they're going to battle. Verse 9. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints. There's the second group, the believers. And the beloved city and fire, watch this now, came down from... Where? God. Look at this. Out of heaven and devoured them. And when the, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night. Say with me, church, forever and ever. John says, and I saw... A great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. He describes the group of unbelievers. The dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their, what's that next word, church? Works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their, what's that next word? Works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire, this is the second death. And whosoever was not found, get this, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Lord, we thank you for this time, for the good congregational singing, the special, and for these people. Thank you for giving all of us the physical ability 
to get out of bed this morning and to come to your house and to worship you. Lord, I don't believe anybody has come here with any type of force upon them. I don't believe anyone here has to be here by gunpoint or by any type of anyone being forced to be here. Everyone's here on their own choice. Lord, may this time not be a waste. Lord, may you make this time very valuable by simply meeting with us. Lord, this is the time when I would often ask you to help me preach, and I'm not going to ask you to help me preach today. Because, Lord, by asking you that, then I would have a pretense, or at least there would be a pretense, that I want to have something to do with the rest of this service. Lord, I would rather have nothing to do with it. So, Lord, would you do what only you can do in the lives of these people here today so that you only may get the glory and the praise for it? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The final judgment for unbelievers is coming for sure. This day is coming when all the unsaved shall stand before God and they'll stand before God who will be on a great white throne and they will have to give an account to Him. Many today laugh and ignore and misinterpret or ignore preaching because many preachers all across this country are silent about the future punishment for unbelievers. But when someone has rejected the Son of God, there will be for sure punishment upon them. So I guess as we kind of work our way into this message, it's a very important question in reality, not in the form of an illustration, but there's a very important question that has to be answered today. In reality, are you a believer or are you a non-believer? If you really sat where your spiritual life would be, would you sit in the believer's side or would you be in the non-believer side? The most important question that all of us would face today is whether you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior or you have not. That's the most important question for all of us this morning. In verse 11, we can see the place of the judgment. I want us to work our way through that as we work our way through the Bible passage here. We look at this place of judgment, the great white throne, standing before the very throne of God. Can you imagine this? Standing there face to face with God and Christ Himself, seeing everything that John saw. They will utterly, they will know that their unbelief in Jesus was insane. They will know that their unbelief in Jesus was mad. They will not be standing before the cross of Jesus Christ. They'll be standing before the great white throne. There won't be any type of invitation at this scene. There isn't type of a cross down here that people will be able to come down and bow down and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. This scene describes a time where there will be no cross to bow down before, but there is a great white throne with God Almighty standing upon it. This day, this day does not have a cross, will not have an invitation for people to come down and respond to. This day is where the great, supreme God Almighty makes the decision and speaks out His decisive, decisive decision right from His judgment throne. And it will be final, it 
will be for eternity. It can't be appealed. It can't be overturned. There's no greater court that's going to overrule what God says when it comes to the great white throne judgment. That's that simple. It's going to be final. It's going to be for eternity. It can never be appealed. Great because of the unbeliever has rejected the great salvation provided by the great one, Jesus Christ. Can I just remind you of this? That Jesus Christ is not one of many ways to get to heaven, but Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. So it is the great rejection that someone has committed so they will be judged from the great white throne. No matter who they are, no matter how moral they may be, no matter how much of a religious leader they may be, if they are without Jesus Christ, they will be punished here. Therefore, the only person who is ever acceptable to God is a person who approaches Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when it comes to the judgment of those who reject the great salvation of God's Son, they will be judged from the great white throne. That's a description of what's happening here. Imagine the purity of God's throne will blaze forth in righteousness and condemn the unbeliever. Condemn him because he's neither pure nor righteous. The purity, the righteousness of Christ was available to cover his sins, but he's rejected Jesus Christ. That's why he's there. He's not there because he did this, this, this. He's there solely because he rejected the Son of God. That's why he's there. And then he's going to be judged for his works, his unrighteousness. And God's righteousness will not be available to him. That's what verse 11 is describing to us. Verse 12, we see some pretty specific details. The small and the great. Let me put it this way. The ordinary men and the ordinary women. The common, the average, the blue-collar worker. Those who commit sins that society considers small, sometimes even understandable, like the sin of selfishness or the sin of hoarding or the sin of complaining, laziness, slothfulness, indifference, arguing, gossiping, backbiting, criticizing, immorality, stealing and lying, even those sins. You mean they're there because he lied? No, they're there because they rejected the Son of God. But all of their works will be judged. Great men, not only the small, not only the common, the average person, but great men, great women will be judged. Men that have positions of authority here on this world. Men who have been managers, owners, and business owners, and salespeople. Those who even sin with a daring flair in life. The small and the great, the low and the high, the poor and the rich, the unrighteous, those that didn't live a right life at all, and those that are self-righteous, those that are trying to live to get themselves to heaven. The non-religious, the person that never went to church will be there, and so will the religious, the person who went to church all the time thinking church attendance will get them to heaven. The unknown, nobody will know some of these people, and some of the very well-known will be there. No unbeliever will be exempt no unbeliever will be overlooked or missed. All unbelievers, each in his own time, will be called forward by the name. And then the face, he will face him who sits on the throne. Every unbeliever will have his day in the great tribunal of God. And then we see in verse 12 the basis for the judgment, the books. The book of life and then the book of record. The record of works, the record of what has been done, a record of what has not been done, the record of secret sins. Romans 2.16 tells us that, secret sins. Come on. You know what they are. 
secret sins, sins done behind closed doors, sins done in the dark, sins done by yourself, sins done where you thought no one knew, those sins will be brought by record from the book of records and dealt with. Let me illustrate it this way. Remember pictures? Remember pictures? I asked you to think of a picture. Here's my picture. In 2002, I held up this picture to this very church. This is my cousin David and my cousin Janet. My cousin David and his kids and Janet. My cousin was raised in a home just like I was, a, a Baptist home. Praise the Lord for just good godly parents. But David rejected his beliefs, the way that he was raised, rejected Jesus Christ and married Janet. Janet, at this time, was a practicing Jew. So David is the picture I presented to you in 2002. David would be at this great white throne judgment. David would be there and he'd be maybe lined up maybe in some fashion. I I don't know for sure, but we're told that we're going to be there. So maybe I'll, as a believer, will be in the background and David will be here with his family and Janet and his kids and he'll be getting closer to the front and getting closer to the great white throne judgment. Maybe he and I will catch eyes. Maybe he'll say something like this, Janet, don't worry, there's cousin Jeff up there. He's a Baptist preacher. He can help us. Hey, Jeff, hey, Jeff, can you help us out? What is going on here, he might say. I I don't know how we'll be able to communicate. I really don't know. But I can only imagine as he would see me that he would say, Hey, Cousin Jeff, what is this all about? If I can respond to him, I'd say something like, David, this is, this is the great white throne judgment. This is what we heard about when we were kids in vacation Bible school. This is what we heard when the revivalists came through church. And, and this is what's happening. My cousin David might say, you mean that was real? That was a real story we heard in Sunday school? In vacation Bible school? Y- yeah, David, that was real. You believed it? And, How come you didn't tell me that was real? How come you just joked around with me back then in church? How come you didn't tell me it was real, Jeff? Well, well, David, you're my favorite cousin. And, you know, I didn't want to get cousins mad at each other. You know, you're my favorite family member. I didn't want to have a family fight. David would say something like this. Are you joking me? Are you real? You withheld that? Back then, because you were afraid of me getting mad at you, and now this is happening? Thanks for nothing, Cousin Jeff. David will be called forward. His name will not be found in the book of life. Then his name will be found in the book of records, and the records of his life will be read, shared, and he'll be judged for them. One scene might be like this. David and his cousin Jeff, at the age of 12, snuck out one night and let all the neighborhood dogs off their leashes. (laughs) We did it. (laughs) We really did it. David, he's a Bostonian like I am, a little arrogant. (laughs) David would say this, that's fine. I can take the punishment for that. That's all right. I'm all set And then there'll be another scene read when David was about 20. The record of that event will be shared. David's thoughts will be like this. Please, you don't have to share all that. 
My wife's right here. My kids are here. Please. I was just a single guy then. That was just me and that person. Come on. Oh. And then there'll be another time when he was 28. And the record will be shared. And my cousin David will say, Janet, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then David, as I told you in 2002, will be cast into the lake of fire. Do you have your picture? Of your cousin David? In 2002, I asked you to pray for my cousin David. I've been able to witness to David just a few times. But I just sensed that if I would just do everything that I'm supposed to do, wherever I am in Oklahoma, if I would just be faithful to serve the Lord there, that somehow God would send somebody to reach my cousin David. So in 2002, I showed you this picture of my cousin David and his family. Two years ago, I was out deer hunting, and my mother called me. And she said, has your cousin David called you yet? I said, no. She said, well, he's going to be calling you today. He's going to tell you a story about how he got saved yesterday. Janet, David's wife, went to school up in Boston, Secular University. She had a Christian friend, a schoolmate. They went through schools the whole time as buds. The Christian friend stayed in touch with her. Two years ago, she reached my cousin Janet with Christ. Janet came home and told my cousin David, David, I just got saved. My cousin David dropped his knees and accepted Jesus Christ. So now I have a picture of them for Christmas saying, Joy to the world, for unto us a child is born. Isaiah 9, 6. Now I have a saved cousin. Who are you thinking of right now? That lost person? Don't stop, believer. Don't stop praying for them. Because it could be that your prayers is what God's looking for so you can one day have this picture. But you can't stop doing it. What you're supposed to be doing where you're at. See, because God can take and send somebody to Boston while I'm in Oklahoma just doing what I'm supposed to do. God can take someone and send them to the Philippines or to Sicily or to the Ukraine or to Long Island if you'll just do what you're supposed to do right here. Sometimes we think and take too many pictures. This is a picture of a vulture with a starving boy 
in Sudan. This picture is a photograph showing a starving Sudanese child being stalked by a vulture. And it won Mr. Kevin Carter the 1994 Pulitzer Prize for feature photography. Mr. Carter took this picture and won one of the greatest prizes this world supposedly acclaims to. Took a picture of the child with the vulture in the background. Can you see it? Came home to America and won the prize. Came back home. He was interviewed. Mr. Carter, tell us what happened. What feeding center did you bring this child to? Oh, no, I didn't do that. What did you do? The reporters started asking in the news conference. I just put my camera down, and I went back over the Jeep. I just had a cigarette, and I watched the course of nature take its role. What do you mean, Mr. Carter? I watched the boy starve, and I watched the vulture have his way with the boy. Can I say this to you as kindly as I can? Some of us need to stop just taking pictures. And we need to go tell some people. It's hard to witness to relatives. It is. But you just don't want to have a picture of them. See, the day that we just read about is the most helpless day in the future. I won't be able to do anything for my lost relatives at this day. They won't be able to do anything for themselves. But this day hasn't come yet. The good news is, is that you have time today to do something. What would I do? Would you at least, listen to me, would you at least bend your knee for that lost one? In a sense, figuratively, would you put the camera down and at least pray that they would move from this section to this section? Because the last thing you want, I'm confident, is to be up there on the most helpless day in the future, and to have this thought, I didn't do anything for them. Maybe you're here this morning, and everybody thinks you're sitting on the right side. All appearances of your church life says you're sitting on the right side. But you know you're sitting on the wrong side. In a few moments, you're going to have a chance to change sides. It's called an invitation. You're going to be invited to come to the front. It's just something we do at this church. You're going to be invited to come to the front and talk to somebody about how you can trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior once and for all with a big period at the end of it. Not Jesus plus something else, 
but Jesus plus nothing else. Nobody can do for you anything greater than Jesus alone can do. There's no work. There's nothing you can add to the salvation that Christ has provided to you. There's nothing. All that God wants is for you to simply, like a child, trust His Son for your salvation. And so when we have this invitation, we'll be standing, we're going to be singing. More than likely, there'll be many people coming to the front, praying down here. Maybe they'll find their ways right in here, maybe along this side, along this side. And if you want to switch sides, then come to the front this morning. You might say, but I'm a member of this church. Everybody already thinks I'm over here. I don't think anybody in this church is going to be upset with you for finding Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today. Maybe you're here this morning, this is so new to you. This is like, wow, this is really different. And maybe you're wondering, I don't know if I fully understand it, but I know the Spirit of God's been speaking to me this morning. And I just know one thing. I don't want to go to hell. And you've heard bits and pieces of Jesus Christ's salvation all these years of your life, but now you finally have an opportunity. Someone's saying, we invite you to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You mean that's all I have to do? That's all you have to do. Childlike faith. Have faith in what He did for you over 2,000 years ago can carry you right into heaven. You're going to have an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a member and you're a believer and you have that picture. As a matter of fact, you won't even look at me right now. Because you're just thinking of a picture. And your throat's dry. You've got a lump in your throat. Because that person maybe that you even live with, you know their own testimony is, they would go to hell today. Would you do this on behalf of them? I plead with you. Would you please pray for that person today? Pray that God leads someone to their door or into their life so they can be reached for Christ while you are being faithful at what God's given you to do here. Would you stand with your heads bowed, your eyes closed? If the Spirit of the Lord's speaking to you, why don't you just come right now as we just take the time right now to do business with God. The Lord's speaking to you. Why don't you just come right now? I can't think of one sane reason not to respond if the Lord's speaking to you. Just come this morning, and if you want to know Christ as your personal Savior, just just come. Come right to where I am right now, and we can help you. No one's looking around with all heads bowed, all eyes closed. We're just going to allow the piano to play right now. Just the piano to play with all heads bowed. All eyes closed as the piano plays. If you need to trust Christ as your personal Savior, just step out right now. We'll help you, show you in the Bible how you can trust Christ as your Savior. There's room right down here. If you need to come and pray, there's room here at the front. All heads bowed, all eyes closed.
you're here this morning and you're not sure, you're just not sure if you're saved, you're not sure if you're going to go to heaven, and you'd like me to pray for you today, not by name, but you'd like me to pray for you in the next few moments before I close this service down, would you just lift your hand up, just by lifting your hand up with all eyes closed, all heads bowed, you're saying, Brother Jeff, just pray for me. Just lift your hand up. Just pray for me right now. I see your hand. I see, the, I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand, ma'am. I see your hand. You want me to pray for you? Just a moment. We've had five hands go up. You can put your hand down, sir. I see your hand. You say, preacher, I just want you to pray for me. I, I'm struggling with knowing for sure whether I'm saved. Heavenly Father, I want to lift up these people. They were so honest with me by lifting their hands and recognizing that they're not sure of their salvation. Lord, so I'd ask you that everything in here would be silenced and that you would be able to speak to them clearly. I pray, dear God, that they'll realize that now is the time. Lord, maybe even for some of them, I don't know God, but maybe for some of them to step out right now and to come and to meet the preacher and to find out how they can get saved. But Lord, I pray for them that before it's too late, before they are helpless themselves, that they will step out and trust you as their Savior, that they'll come back tonight so they could learn more about how to trust you. And so I lift them up to you again one more time. And I pray that they'll have enough boldness to step out and to trust you one day as their personal Savior, to trust your Son as their personal Savior. And I ask it in the name of Christ. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed, if you did, if you did raise your hand, I'm not going to call you out at all, but if you did raise your hand with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, as best as I can tell, everyone here has a bowed head and their eyes are closed. If you raised your hand a few moments ago and you would like to have someone to talk to, to show you how to accept Christ as your personal Savior, just look up at me right now. Just look up at me right now. If you're here this morning, you raised your hand, and you would like someone to help you understand how to be saved, would you just look up at me? Looking up at me? Is that right? Okay, I see you. Keep on looking up at me. Anybody here to my left, your right? There was three of you that raised your hands. I'm just asking you if, if you would like us to help you with that. Just look up at me right now. Okay. Can you look up at me again, ma'am? Yes, you. Would you just speak to us at the end of the service? Would you do that? We'd love to help you with that. We really would, okay? No one's looking around. So we're just going to ask you to come and see us, okay? And we'll help you with that, okay? Amen. Pastor Montoro?